Welcome to Radical Listening, the Portland podcast where we talk to local artists about their work. I'm Phil Johnson. And I'm your co-host Clifton Holtznagel. Today we talk to Sarah Faye Goldman. Uh, she's an aerial artist and theater performer in Portland. It was a really interesting conversation. We talked a little bit about her work with Fuse. Yeah, we talked with her about her work with Fuse Theater Company and their new space Fusebox where they've been producing some work and been able to stream online content from there as well. They just got the space recently and now um, it's become a really good multi-purpose space for them and they're figuring out how to, you know, navigate the online art world like the rest of us and it was really interesting to hear about that. Yeah, it was great. We talked a little bit about the role of social media and streaming for theater performances and performers and um, yeah, it was just an overall good conversation. I think you guys will really enjoy hearing a different point of view from the performance world. It's not a uh, we, we talk about theater a little bit, but mostly we talk about rope arts and aerial and um, just, you know, how to make work online and release work online. So enjoy the show. As always, you can find this episode and all episodes of Radical Listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all sorts of other places where you can find wonderful podcasts. Today on the show, we have Sarah Faye Goldman, a performer, actor, writer, producer, aerialist, clown, teacher, and so much more. Sarah, how are you doing today? <laughs> Thanks for the introduction. I'm doing fine. Thanks, Liston. Yeah, good, good, how good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. About the same Hanging as... In. Yeah. <laughs> well, the sun coming out so. definitely helps, you know. Have you, um, <laughs> have you been doing anything during quarantine, like outside, outdoors? Have you been camping or anything like that? Yeah, I've been sneaking out every now and then. That joie de vivre, I find it hard to, like, stay inside when the sun comes out. Um, and I, I went, like, briefly to the local city parks, and that's they've been really packed. Yeah. So I started doing little drives that are, like, not too far, mm -hmm. you know, just tentatively yeah. heading out to the gorge. Um, and that's been good. We have Tryon State Park, too, which is, at that counts as staying local. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Trying to stay close to home as instructed, but still get outside. That's like, I'm doing that dance. Nice. But, yeah. Absolutely. I um, need that forest, you know? That's why I'm here in the Pacific Northwest. It's so true. Mm -hmm. The forest is... <laughs> it's super hard not to be there. Um, so the, the last thing I saw of yours and that I had been seeing around was Tether. Um, I think I saw a version of it in, uh, like, late 2018 or early 2019, maybe, at Headwaters. Um, and then I saw you were doing it again at Echo this year at Fertile Ground. Uh, could you, like, describe what that um, show is and what, where you are in the process of that? Yes, I would be happy to. It's actually two different shows. Um, they're both rope suspension acts, which I guess mm -hmm. is uh, fairly unique even though it's taking up a lot of my life right now. But uh, the the project I did with Fertile Ground is a duet, and I started a new project with a collaborator. Um, but it's definitely, like, as you're recognizing, it's on the same track in terms mm. of investigating, like, storytelling or just conveying meaning like at the very basic level using this medium, which is challenging, you know, and athletic and difficult yeah. in all sorts of ways um but yeah it's a new show it's called the book of jay and uh it's sort of up in the air at the moment because my collaborator lives in brooklyn and mm. even if he didn't like what the, what the heck is happening with like physical theater um <laughs> especially physical theater that involves more than one person right so 
Yeah, so um, it's it's a really exciting show. I can kind of go off academically on it, but Tether is the show that is more in the can. Um, and what I'm doing with that is I'm getting ready to film it and try to stream it and disseminate it that way because it's done. Because it's it's a it's a one woman show that I've. I'm sure will evolve, but it tells a story and it has a script and it has cues that I've really figured out and it feels ready to like share. And so I was hoping to tour actually. I was yeah. hoping that like this yeah. year would be about booking those shows and I yeah. hadn't I hadn't gotten there yet. I hadn't had book shows that got cancelled, but the show was ready to like have a life. So now it's just getting kind of rechanneled. Yeah. Um, with the help of Fuse, actually. That's like a a big thing that I'm doing is staying active with Fuse which is a, a tremendous gift. Yeah, you're a company member there, right? Yeah, so it's it's a fairly small group that's grown in the last couple of years because mm-hmm. we've established a board and gotten a little bit more legitimate in our interworkings. But before that, it was like four or five people for eight years. Um, and now it's like doubling and tripling in size, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, it means that we have some resources that we didn't have before. Um, so we have a space and it wasn't meant to be a storage unit. You know, it's meant to be a rehearsal space mm-hmm. that we're working in. So now I'm... We're going in there one at a time with, like, a day in between, basically, is the plan now, um, and trying to be responsible about our shared space. And we're calling it the Fuse Box. It's uh, up on North Loring, where Simon Max uh-huh. does his camping. Yeah. And it's a great little spot. It's kind of a white box, and it's really, really high. It's got huge lift. Um, so I put in a hard point, and I can, you know, work on technique there and do some aerial stuff like circus and my own rope stuff there Mm -hmm. um and i can train and then use it as a rehearsal space and then a studio and film my work so i'm trying to film tether eventually um and then meanwhile i'm just doing my own work to try to stay on top of what is for me a fairly recent craft that i'm not an expert at yet so just to try to take on the next project, like the Book of Jay, means that I really need to figure some stuff out yeah. and like, get better at what I'm doing. So that's that's where I'm at now is in this very um, kind of personal, like, hermity space because that's that's the world we live in at the moment. I've been given this context. So I, I kind of ran with that and was like, I'll just get better at my rope technique and self-suspension and mm-hmm. like, self-expression using this thing. So how do you explore narrative using that technique? It's it's come from the, the piece. It's come from the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh it's come from a need to tell a particular story and a very particular personal story or a political climate and a situation, uh, a very personal situation with a friend of mine who is the collaborator. Yeah. You know, So knowing the deepest things about myself turned into a solo performance and knowing um, some of his autobiography, you know, yeah. basically that he tells me as, as our friendship, like across the, the continental U.S., you know, he tells me these stories and I kind of responded with like, we need to, Need to express this. This yeah. is a political thing that's happened. Um, so the Book of Jay is a biblical story. You know, we're yeah. using it to resonate with the present, um, kind of reaching as far back as we can to like the power of narrative. And mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of a lot of Bibles out there. I don't know if you're aware. There's about as <laughs> many Bibles as there are Christians. True. So in, as someone who tells stories, like that to me is mind blowing. That is a hit. Like that thing mm-hmm. did so well. Right. Right. It's there a bestseller. Are, like, Three point nine. Bill, million? How many? No, it can't be billion. There aren't that. No, is it billion? Is it three point nine billion? That's a good My question. I don't know. <laughs> I think I need to Google this as we speak. <laughs> it's not okay that I don't know this, but there there are about the same number of Christians as there are Bibles, and it's like it's such a good book. Right. Yeah. So so to respond to something very personal, I just dig into the most elemental thing I can think of, basically. Nice. Yeah. That's cool.
Um, how, I'm, uh, I'm looking for the answer right now. No, um, yeah. It's 2.3 billion out of 7.5 billion. So oh, that's, wow. that's the internet approximation that's right now. Number. It is in the billions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's a lot of Bible. That's incredible. <laughs> so uh, do you mind if I ask you some questions about learning rope suspension? About, say that again, I'm sorry. About learning rope suspension. No, I don't. Um, I appreciate that it is a sensitive subject, and I'm still figuring out how to talk about it, so we can we can go forward into this cool. semi-uncharted territory together. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just curious, and um, because I, I've been working with rope for a while and learning about, um, you know, uh, shibari and things like that, and um, I've, just, I've been just curious about how one does get into learning suspension. Um, is it, you know, just going through the community and finding the people and, um, talking cause it's, I mean, now it's like, I was, I was hoping to try to find some classes or a teacher this summer to like learn the basics about it, but it seems yeah. like, I mean, that's going to be, you know, that's kind of off the table now or a lot harder to imagine, but, um, right. I mean, just in, in the normal world, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just curious about your journey in that. If you want to talk about it. Yeah. It sounds like such a simple question, but I just like in the time it, took to listen to you ask it i just went in 17 different directions so <laughs> forgive me like no no worries <laughs> um, <laughs> how does one i mean if you figure that out let me know is my first answer like i don't know how one goes about learning this stuff it's really hard um it's kind of niche you know and i would say like it's important to recognize there isn't a right way that you're talking about a form that exists between a rope which is like a linear you know, possibly single dimensional, right? Or two dimensional object, if you think about it as math, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to a physical mm -hmm. thing, right? And then combining that with a human form, like the combinations are infinite, right? And so you could figure it out on your own. You could sit at home in your room for eight hours a day and feed yourself and take your time and be careful and learn a better technique than anyone knows already. Sure. Right? So yeah. I think that's. That's where I go first. It's like I'm not going to tell you how to do this, mm -hmm. um, right, yeah, and I'm yeah. not that good at it, frankly. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a good person to talk to about it, but I'm not the teacher necessarily, or the the one or the role model. But my journey was pretty particular. It was it was fairly personal. You know, it started in in relationships, so it's kind of a that person to person lineage. Um, it's in that realm that like yoga mm -hmm. lived in for a while before it became yeah. more popular popularly disseminated and i find that interesting to be part of what feels like a, a kind of a younger craft that it doesn't have a scene you know to right. speak of yeah. like a codified scene it doesn't have uh certifications even rigging i don't know if you're aware uh, yeah. circus rigging does not have its own certifications that scares me but i was i was looking into all that and all the different rigging certifications there are but it's very much like industrial entertainment rigging certification is kind of what's out there or like theater theater like yeah union stuff it was just interesting to union learn about riggers, Union riggers of, for theater have the skills, basically, that you need mm -hmm. to, to safely set up the architecture um, and, right. and a lot of the, the tools. So if you know anything about safely rigging equipment, you do have the principles. If you know mm -hmm. anything about combining loads and hauling, yeah. if you've ever tied a bowlin or mm -hmm. not, or like a square knot, if you have some principles, that's also a foundation. Um, so there's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of union riggers who also get into like recreational rigging and circus rigging. And there's, right. there's a lot of Venn diagrams there. Um, you know, and then in general, join a scene, make friends, talk to people is what the community would say. And, that, and that's the yeah. good advice from the community. It's like, don't 
experiment alone, right? Mm-hmm. right. <laughs> yeah. The idea of like the, the solo hermit genius is not a good idea. Um, unless you, you're really, really, really conservative and not taking risks. And that's, that's sort of, that's a mantra for like parkour yeah. is that we don't take risks, which is like a funny thing for the spectator to hear because it certainly yeah. looks risky, but the idea is to work in a progression mm. and to not, um, you know, in terms of tying, you don't tie outside of your skill set. You only do what you for sure know that you can do when you're going to suspend yourself or, you know, bring another person in. You just don't take risks with another person. You take risks in your learning and you take risks on the ground and you take risks on your own body maybe, but there's a an integrity to, like, the medium is um, a body. Mm-hmm. So a big part of the learning process is is getting to know your body, getting to know what other people are like, working on your relationships, right? Like, you're asking a yeah, super yeah. simple question and I'm throwing the world at you, but, like, that's... <laughs> You know, that's the work is how, how do you get better at this? Well, you get, you become a better person. You do push-ups. you know, yeah. and yeah. then like, and then you also maybe get a pattern from someone. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge step because why reinvent the wheel? Mm-hmm. There are people who have really good patterns right. and who yeah. can, who can teach you about like load bearing on the body and nerves. So you learn about nerve pathways, you know, I'm, yeah sort of educated on that basically i know from a teacher where i can safely put rope for load bearing that doesn't risk nerves and i don't Mm -hmm. have all the medical knowledge about where the nerves go i just know from a rope instructor here's some conservative places right yeah does that make sense so i don't have Mm -hmm. to be the medical expert um so a good teacher will will allow you to not be the expert on everything and just give you some answers yeah find a good teacher is a good start. Um, I can plug some people. I can save that for the end. I'm making my little list. Um, I know some some local teachers and and some people who exist online too. Oh, sorry. I was I was gonna say what uh, what made it what about it made you want to put it into performance and like what what about like tying and suspension is related to the performance that is made by it? You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I you know as a, a theater artist, I bring it into anything that's fun for me. Kind of. Pathologically, like I'll just yeah. I'll make it all into a show, all right? And uh, so it, it that was a natural progression. That's something I do. I get into hobbies, and then I'm like, I love baking. I'm gonna put on the baking show now. So that <laughs> that's something I do as a human. Um, but I got extra inspired because I I was serving as someone else's artwork for a while. Like I was getting tied up by a different rigger who's a photographer. And so right from the beginning, that was the appeal. I was already being a performer. I was already, you know, participating Mm -hmm. in an aesthetic realm. And then it became a very personal exploration. It became connected to my athletic arc as a circus performer. You know, it started to infiltrate other parts of my life. But the initial draw was aesthetic. It was this beautiful thing um, that also looked like something I wanted to embody as an aerialist. Um, That kind of drew me in. And then, and then it became relational, you know, then in order to do that, it, it's, very clear to me that I I didn't want to have that aesthetic experience once I realized you know how rigorous it is how difficult it is and what it asks of the of they call it um, they say rope bottom you know the person who's like receiving <laughs> whatever the rope is doing um, it's so demanding that I wasn't interested in doing it as like a pickup hobby I wasn't interested mm-hmm. in doing it as an artist with whom I didn't have a personal connection. And I became more interested in this one person's art and and forging a relationship with that one person. Yeah. So it's kind of simultaneous, like aesthetic and, um, you know, personal, emotional and expressive in that way. I think that's where the appeal is, because I, I'm really drawn to that kind of integrated work. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why I kept going in that direction. You know, I, I can bring any hobby into the theater, but this is so deeply felt for me and so expressive to me personally that, it, you know, I keep coming back to it. Um, so I, I, I was, you know, I was modeling for this person, but then he also ha- does performances and he also is like an inquisitive person. So just is experimentational, like in his general, um, in his interests. So that mm-hmm. I was like from the very beginning given this entry, like I'm extremely grateful. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. his name's Noble, by the way. I'm saying his name now. <laughs> um, he's been a rope guy for a long time, and I've been dabbling in this for like maybe five years. Um, and that's on the receiving end, you know, on the tying end, fewer, maybe mm-hmm. three. Yeah. So he's been doing it for like thirty. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And so he's he's just on a level. So my interest and my ability to just take on any of this independently really came from direct uh, download. Mm. Yeah. Just really, cool. I mean, it's so lucky. Like I feel so blessed. That doesn't exist. It's very hard to get that kind of mentorship and that that kind of relationship that I feel really lucky that we just, we found each other and that our artistic interests aligned enough that it was more than, you know, just for fun. Like it, it really made mm-hmm. sense for us to work together. Um, and he was able to teach me things and give me the ability to then like none, none of the things that I do, even though I can tie the knots, I would never have gotten there if he hadn't helped me get there and give me those like levels up on the way. It would cool. take would take decades, you know, to recreate it on my own. Right, right. Yeah. So in some so, ways, you yeah. kind of got lucky by finding a mentor, you know, because you're saying for the people who want to get involved in this type of art form, it's really, it seems like it's hard. It seems like they have, you, you, there's a lot of like work that you have to do on your own. And then kind of eventually as you start to mm-hmm. learn the basics or that kind of thing, it's yeah. really a matter of luck whether or not you can keep going but you found someone who really kind of propelled you into the art form much deeper and much quicker than what seems normal it seems oh, yeah. it seems very rare yeah i would i would say like no you know it's hard to say what normal is because nobody True. does it alone really um because you shouldn't i should say also it's probably late in the game to be saying this but i don't practice suspension alone there's always somebody else mm. in the room so i'm also really lucky now that i have a little team of people who i can coordinate with and it's mostly chris you know I'm, i have yeah. a domestic partner we share mm-hmm. space and so i ask him for the favor of sitting in the studio with <laughs> me and like sometimes he's kind enough to be involved and like be my av guy you know so i can make something which is just that's a, a huge um, boon to the process mm-hmm. to have somebody else there. So, like, even practice without this teacher involves community and like support and yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not doing it alone. Yeah, and I can practice things without risk, you know, without as much risk. But there's no zero. So, like, practicing right. the knots and practicing the harnesses without lifting myself up and doing the rigorous stunt, um, it's a sort of half practice, and you have to do it, but it doesn't you don't really get the work done until someone else is in the room and you take some risks. So how did you get into performance at first? Like what was your, what was your first, first avenue into performing on stage? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, in terms of first experiences on stage, they're really young. Like I had a natural affinity and I wanted to be performing. Um, And then my interest expanded from there. I didn't necessarily know I wanted to be a director, but then and when I say early, I mean, I think I was in the school play at four and like loving it. Yeah. I wanted nothing but to play Vashti and like 
have a scepter and banish someone from the kingdom. Like I was throwing <laughs> my weight around and like as a toddler, you know, so that, that's still like, I still have a sense of play and just natural fun and affinity um, for the theater. That's always been there. I don't think I've ever taken a substantial break, you know, and not in terms of work, but in terms of thinking about theater and, pro and reading it and processing it and feeling like a participant. Yeah. I feel like that's been innate. Um, my grandmother was an opera singer and I think oh. raised me in those, in that awareness, like just fed it into my head as a baby that, you know, she's a performer and that she sings and these are the sounds and this is the music and these are the costumes. So I always knew that that existed. Are you from Oregon um, or are you from? No, I'm from Florida. I Florida grew up. Um, yeah, I'm from South Miami Dade, <laughs> 305. <laughs> what is it? There it is. Nice. Um, 305. Yeah. <laughs> the, the land of the hanging chads and pretty much everything terrible. Sorry about that. And <laughs> I grew up with that grandmother who lived on Miami beach mm -hmm. and like was, you know, South American and sang and brought us fruit festivals and, you know, had a very like Miami upbringing on some levels. <laughs> um, yeah. And my, my father grew up on Miami beach too, which is pretty rare. Like I oh, think wow. that's when it was born was when he grew up with Miami beach. So yeah. we're one of like the early settlers. So when yeah. you moved to Portland, and, have you noticed that, you know, being in Portland has influenced your theater making at all? Or have you? Yeah, I I left college on the East Coast um, and as an undergrad and came out here. So I've been here for over a decade and it's been the, the career, you know, I've, I've had as a theater artist. I did a few things in school, but I was a full time student and right. like 22. So I don't consider much of what I did on the East Coast any um, part of my career rather than like it's education and it's like foundational. But right. this is where I became part of a theater ensemble and really realized that that's what drew me into the theater, that like working with other people and working on physical theater mm -hmm. really became important to me. Um, I had a vague awareness of that. I was exposed to it in college. It was actually, I need to remember the name of this group, but it was a South African group that came through New York and performed and changed my entire cellular makeup in their performance. Um, and it was viewpoints based. And so mm -hmm. I, because I was in the theater program, I got this like feedback, you know, that we got to see the performance and then have a workshop, you know, in our acting class and get yeah. a lot of their process. And they talked about viewpoints and took us through some things. Um, and that like, that was a pin for a while. And then in Oregon, I just got wind of it and I saw an audition and I started going mm -hmm. to studio and realized like there's a continuity to what I'm responding to. So viewpoints vocabulary is yeah. what drew me to fuse and what drew us mm -hmm. to each other. Um, and I, th I still, like, I get a little teary talking about viewpoints. It's, like, the closest I come to a, a religion right now. Um, the science the science part gets me. Um, yeah, so that's that's been pretty continuous. Fuse has been up and down in a few different um, identities in terms of productivity. Mm -hmm. But early on, it was um, a few of the same people, and we were doing weekly studio sessions, so, like, three hours every Saturday. And then that changed hands and we continued doing it with different artistic directorships. So that was a really important foundation. We took a break for a while and people went in different directions and went on tour. Um, and now we're in another phase of mm -hmm. meeting weekly uh, on the internet. <laughs> so we're doing this. <laughs> but yeah, that, that uh, weekly engagement with like the vocabulary was really inspiring to me. And I've brought that out of use into other work that I've done. Yeah something i still use um so actually we heard about fuse did a um like a online show recently right 
Yeah. Could you tell me about that? Because I, I think I, I only heard about it after the fact, unfortunately. But um, we yeah. co-produced a fundraiser. Okay, cool. Is, which is super awesome. I want to give a lot of credit to Kate Fay. Kate Fay Cummings uh, was the impetus and the motor and all the fuel. Like mm-hmm. she just made it happen, and she petitioned it to fuse as a co-production so that we would collaborate with her and help make it happen. Um, and it was primarily she and and Chris, Chris Baby, uh, doing the tech making the, the Zoom hosts mm-hmm. then feed into a, a video stream mm-hmm. that was pre-recorded and, you know, and making all the mics work. Like, he did, he did a lot of tech to make that happen. So it was, a, it was a fairly successful fundraiser. I'm really proud of everybody. I did no work on the actual fundraiser part. I submitted a piece. Okay. So we took 15-minute yeah. pieces from the community. And so that's where my work went um, because cool. I out of some work and needed some work. <laughs> what, what did you <laughs> so submit? We, we, like, basically allowed that. I submitted a rope piece. I, oh, okay. That's what I'm up to now. I and that was uh, that's the third thing that I've done now for stage, nice. <laughs> like which with rope. You know, nice. now you you know my entire repertoire. That's where <laughs> we're at. Um, thing three. <laughs> so it's great, like being a theater artist my whole life to be such a beginner. I, this is why it's so interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I just used it to kind of express where I was at and what I was feeling. I I had yeah. I love working in constraints of materials. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. So I, I gave myself like a hard point and some ropes and a set, and then I figured out what the music would be, and then I was like, I have sort of an idea yeah. of what the feelings are, the arc is, and I wonder what will happen if I try it, because it's mm. hard enough that you don't have infinite time or options. Like mm-hmm. you have to, you're forced to come to a conclusion. Um, so I just did that. I just challenged myself to kind of go more abstract and without such a clear narrative. Um, and that was great. That was a really good experience for me. I loved the other people's submissions though. Like I went super, you know, high art dance theater, but like, oh man, <laughs> cause that's what I needed to do. I needed yeah. to get that out yeah. of my system. <laughs> but there was a puppet Harry Potter oh, for wow. 15 minutes of my life that I wish was an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there were some singer songwriters who were great. There was Gabby and Atlas, um, standout. Ernie LaJoy is a, a Fuse board member and a, a songwriter. So yeah. He had some great, uh, hilarious COVID tunes. We got, <laughs> what else did we get? Oh, Chris's band, Death Mel, did a spot that was actually including like full video. He wow. did a quality video edit. So there's kind of a music video that went with it. Nice. Yeah. Um, I was so proud. Yeah. And it was, it was May 1st. So I kind of, I think we all rode, rode like, to this stress and then use the initial anxiety, you know, to, to yeah. ma- make something. Um, and I've never, I've not seen that energy since. Like, I don't know where it is. <laughs> what, what, what do you think we about really, this, uh, this kind of brave new world where we're putting all these kind of uh, performance pieces online on Zoom? How do you feel about that transition? I mean, I sort of love it because I love science and I love following new turns of events mm-hmm. like what's going to happen you know so i'm i'm horrified at what's going on in the world but i'm really grateful at this thing i can fixate on which is the internet which is the most fascinating thing right <laughs> and uh fuse went off okay i'm i went off on fuse on physical theater and like what what does this mean now yeah right because yeah. we're not in the same room is, is theater a thing in a time and a place and i'm super turned on by this discussion like you can't tell me we're not in the same place right now. Right. Here yeah. you are in my room. If an alien walked in the door, they would see our three faces on this screen and we're all talking. Well, and there's this, there's a, there's the idea of, you know, when things are happening live, uh, 
you do feel connected. It's like, you know, watching TV. When something falls on live TV, we're all witnessing, you know, something happen together. So a lot of the argument is that you lose the liveness once you record and all this kind of stuff. But I don't know. It's it's weird. Right. The discussion about liveness, because if theater isn't a place, then it needs to be a time. I don't know. I think that's kind of limiting. I think right. it is a place still. First of all, because physical theater is not over, like that's happening. We're just doing metaphysical theater now, right? Um, and we can do that. And and what is live? When they do live, it's thirty second delay because they need to censor, right? Right, and that's not right. Live, right. So we can now engage with this as a discussion where we have not engaged. That has only been a, a part of tech yeah. in the past. Now it's a part of my creative expression. Now it's a part mm-hmm. of art too possibly deal with this little chasm in the audience's mind of how live is this right. and is this live or yeah, when what, is this theater going to happen <laughs> like, we can ask different questions now yeah i think there's things we can do within a digital medium too that uh hint toward a weird liveness and one of the new things that makes something seem live is like glitching now make it seem live and like can, can you lean into that you know things like that and it's I don't know, yeah, lying it's lying definitely makes things feel live yeah. Oh, why do you say Telling that? Until it's live when it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't they do that? Um, uh, did you hear Sondheim's 90th concert? There was I saw parts of it. I didn't attend it no. live. Uh-huh. But it was an event for Sondheim's 90th birthday. It was going to be a, a live concert that people attended in person, and it became an online concert, yada, yada, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And they did these beautiful Zoom duets. And we had just tried to do this. Uh, we called the performance the Cause Cabaret. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Series that Kate Faye does. Um, so we just did the Cause Cabaret and we did these pre recorded videos, which take up so much space. It's a huge effort to store it and stream it. Right. You know, the mm-hmm. issues with recorded video. And here's Jake Gyllenhaal doing a beautiful duet with someone, quote, live, We're right. like, without a delay, you know, with perfect balancing. And I'm like pulling out my hair, <laughs> going, How did you do it? I watched the Colbert report and he admits. They recorded it to a scratch track five seconds before. Of course. It was mixed, quote, live, which is 25 seconds before it is streamed. Gotcha. So it's live in that. I guess that's even more live than I thought it would be, (laughs) honestly, but yeah. It was live in that, like, there was a time pressure. Like, he had to show up and do it. And then she had to show up and do it. And then they sent it to the the editor. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the the All in the Family live kind of like reboot that they did maybe like three or four years ago with uh, Jamie Foxx was in it. And um, so they did a basically... I did not see it. Yeah, there's an All in the Family reboot that was done live on Fox or one of those channels. And what happens is (laughs) at some point, uh, Jamie Foxx's character, uh, which is... um, Fred something from the other show. There's there's a spinoff show. <laughs> I can't remember the name of that right now. But anyway, um, Jamie Foxx just broke character. He just started laughing. And this was happening on live TV. <laughs> and it's not like Saturday Night Live where you expect this kind of thing to happen. And so that was like one right, of those moments right. where it was like, okay, so even if they did kind of stagger it a little bit, they let that moment live for all of us. And it was like, and it wasn't just like, it wasn't just like a Jimmy Fallon break character. It was like, he could not stop laughing. He had to stop his lines. He he broke the fourth wall. Like we were all in on the joke. And then he reset. And it was not even in the genre. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then he reset and he just continued with his lines and got back on track. But it was totally something that you would expect from theater. 
but it was happening on TV. That is a powerful moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, TV is so resistant to um, that kind of stuff where, you know, it's not perfect or smoothed out and all that kind of stuff. So maybe now with this glitchy Zoom call media that we have now, we'll get more used to mistakes in our in our media. I love this this new narrative of what live theater is. I haven't thought about it this way. It, it seems like it's more in the hands of post-production. Yeah. You know, like you don't want to force a glitch, but by choosing not to clean... Yeah. And by being honest about the take that you have, and then you can still up the production value. Because that's, of course, what we want. The artists don't want our work to now be shitty, right? right. Yeah. We still want high production value. We still want to be able to, like, make the video look and sound good. So that was that's what we we, we faced right away, you know, as, as Fuse. Me personally, like, I, I want to share this, and I want to share it with the same ease that I used to share live theater. Yeah. And here I am now. I'm a, now I'm a lighting designer and a technician, and I'm a DP. And like, wow, my resume just tripled in life. Yeah. <laughs> in some ways, it gives Not us more agency over our work as well. You know, like we we have more control to uh, to make the kind of work. I mean, all these theater artists are being kind of forced Absolutely. into their own creative bubbles, and so now that we're going straight to streaming, we'll see a lot more. I don't know, unique projects evolve. I think out of this. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel that. I feel that really hard right now. I think I, it's a privilege that I get to step back from capitalism. You know, it's not that we're all forced to. Some people are trapped in it even True. without money, right? So the fact that I'm surviving um, and I get to feel like a hermit is, mm. I just, I don't know. I feel like a, a real pressure both to give everything I have away and to make the most of this time and to give something to show for it, you know, these, these pressures are not necessarily healthy, yeah. but my response to, you know, having this amount of freedom, I feel it. It's a real fire. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's why I'm choosing the media that I'm choosing is because it's me and this camera and not a whole lot of people around. Like, you know, I, a lot of the company discussion is how can we make these projects we were going to make still happen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I get that attachment. I get it, especially if you wrote it, right? <laughs> or like you were just really set on directing it. Like you still want it to happen, but I, I left right away. I just like I was somewhere else entirely. I'm like, what is this internet art? What am I doing on my own? What's next for me? Yeah. Um, and partially that has to do with my socioeconomic status, which is right in the sweet spot of just like being an artist and and really being pretty poor, but also being in a class and having a safety net. That like poverty for me is something else. You know, it's. Yeah. It's a number, but it's also it's a relative lifestyle. Um, and I do still have students still. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of work, but I get, because I have internet access and the security of this apartment, I get to teach mm. even now. Yeah. <laughs> What's um, that process been and like? And it's not paying my bills, but that has been a strange and sort of lonely process. <laughs> um, I'll admit, not because of the media, actually. I really like playing on the internet, and I like this new frontier, but... I even like the problem solving. As I said, I'm, I'm like onto what, you know, the new solution is. I like this idea of what is yoga now? What do people need now? What is, what is my curriculum? Like I started writing a curriculum right away. Um, but I don't love that the system is so disrupted that sometimes I show up and there's nobody there. Yeah. I don't have students all the time. So in that sense, it's lonely that I can't just 
be a hermit and make decisions and make the world the way I want it to be yeah. because I don't have control over all of it, right? <laughs> and other people, <laughs> other people out there, uh, they see the sunshine and they don't want to do my aerial class that right. doesn't have an aerial apparatus. <laughs> right. <laughs> They might show up for some of the, the fitness classes on the ground, you know, mm-hmm. but if it's sunny out, they are less likely to. Whereas at the gym, you know, I teach at the Echo on okay. a, a regular basis, and now I teach on the internet through the Echo Theater on Hawthorne. Um, and there's a reason to show up at the gym. There's camaraderie, and there's more than the equipment. Yeah. Yeah. So the only thing you have to offer is your, your leadership as a teacher. And it really, it feels like a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't have any stuff. you don't have any other students that at least they're showing up to hang out with each other. No, <laughs> it's just you. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's ringleading, it's directing yeah. more than it is teaching in a lot of ways. You and become is, a motivational speaker, uh, some sort of like life coach. Yeah, it's more <laughs> coaching than it is teaching now. So it's been weird. Like the numbers are down and that's kind of sad because everybody's figuring out, you know, people don't have the resources and uh, really it's, it's a political moment. Like I'm being paid by the government's PPP and SD loans um, through my organization. So not only are people not really showing up, it doesn't matter that much because we're in this weird window of eight weeks, Yeah, you know, of like a financial little, I don't know how much you know about that, but the small business loans, are trying to keep them their organization staffed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. so they're paying, yeah, they're paying some payroll. So they're paying my payroll for a little while, and so we can offer this on a sliding scale from like zero to ten dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're sort of stuck and also way outside of capitalism right now. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, I mean, in the fall, it'll be um, really interesting to see what happens to all these performances. You know, we'll see you know, what shows people run yeah. to, and we'll also see what people feel comfortable doing in person. And that's going to be the weirdest thing. Yeah, I, I hope that people don't suddenly abandon all the work that we've dug into for these months. You know, uh, the, the quality can go up, we can collaborate more maybe, but I have I've started doing something that I like doing. Yeah. Which is a weird thing I didn't think I would, I would discover, but I really like doing my own work, yeah. turns out. So I hope that people still want to watch online performances when we're allowed to be yeah. in each other's faces because right, we, we do still have to, it's stepwise, right? When we expose ourselves to crowds, it's certain people who are able to, and it's certain numbers and it's right at certain occasions. It's not going to be black and white. I don't feel like everyone's going to rush back into life as it used to be. It's really going to be stepwise and subjective. Mm-hmm. So I think there are, there will be some people who are going to be at home more who aren't ready to go out or who just are more vulnerable and hopefully there'll still be this new, you know, person to person internet dissemination of material. Have you been exploring different, I I don't want to throw it all away. Oh, have you been exploring different platforms in this kind of journey, you know, where we're streaming things? Like, have you looked in like TikTok, for instance, with the type of work that you do? I still haven't TikToked. Do you TikTok? Are you TikToking? I mean, so I created a TikTok at the beginning of quarantine, and I quickly realized why people do it, because it's really fun, but it's really addictive. It's really fun. The dancing is fun. Well, not only the dancing, but the storytelling is fun. And there's a lot of, um, I mean, there's a lot Uh, of really interesting narrative creators on TikTok. And there's there's kind of a spectrum of dancers and young kids who just kind of like, do remakes of popular videos but then there's also some people who do some pretty original content that's really cool right and it also seems like it's been become an outlet for 
professional dancers. So people who pra- who practice movement professionally realize that they couldn't really do the in-studio stuff. And so they're trying to figure out how to evolve to TikTok and like a platform where people are actually paying attention. And that mm-hmm. has caused, uh, I mean, it's been, it's been the cause of a lot of really cool content as well. So you see a lot of people who are really good movers um, using TikTok as a mm-hmm. platform to, to do what they do. So I wonder with, you know, the type of stuff that you do, I mean, yeah, it'd be cool to see, you know, all types of aerial art on TikTok if it was, you know, filmed in a certain yeah. way. And, you know, I could just see that. I mean, like anything, especially anything online, it, it's exactly what you make it, yeah. right? And so, of course, it's going to be flooded by teenagers doing cheer dance for a while, and that turns you off. And then, you know, but you're right. I, I've been exposed to enough of TikTok, like, on YouTube and yeah. through my friends that there's a lot of intrigue. And it's also just where a conversation is happening. It's where right. the celebrities are going to make their first statements, and then it'll go through Twitter, and then it'll yeah. go through Instagram, and then the news will pick it up. Right? But it's just like, I'm, I'm not ignoring it. I just haven't been participating, right. really. I'm just yeah. spectating a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it is, it's something that, like, it still hasn't been blown up entirely. Like, the, the creative limits haven't been explored yeah. nearly, I, I don't think. Um, it's exciting that it makes video editing easier. Like, really, yeah. the media and yeah. the, the easy app for tech is really cool. Yeah, it's it's cool because like the kids who are on it like are learning so much about video editing, and you're able to do it just on your phone. And like I teach at an elementary school, and the fifth graders have been sending in like uh, video content that they've been making, and some of it's like, like wow, <laughs> you know, like they they know how to edit, edit video. I mean, maybe there's someone at home helping them, but like a lot of the time, I think it's just them and. It's just like creating this like innate knowledge and like understanding how to reverse video and like, um, yeah, it's it's created some right. pretty cool stuff. It just it seems a lot of the time it's good for their brains like, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is very. I, I feel like it's formulaic though, and so if to put on, um, I don't know. It it's because it's it's very much like trend based, and it's and some of the cool stuff I've seen is like people putting their own idea on stuff, but it's hard for me to imagine as an artist like my art on there but i guess it's also because i haven't seen like the narrative stuff you're talking about phil i had tiktok for a little while watching it on my phone and i just couldn't figure out how to like see the stuff that was the most interesting to me it was just like a feed and it was all i don't know it was just like the it i I wasn't running across all the good stuff that i see in like the compilations on youtube so it's like might as well just go to the compilations on youtube (laughs) you know what i learned is that it takes (laughs) It's a, it's almost like, you know, Twitter or Instagram where it almost takes a while for you to get your follow count to a place where your feed is something that you enjoy. Yeah. You, like exactly. when you create a new Instagram, you're sitting there just following random people and friends and things. And then maybe a year later, you're like, OK, now I followed all of the pages <laughs> that are posting things that I actually you care about. Feeding back. Yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, I, I think it's like yeah, that. You have to make it serve you. No. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's a really interesting kind of cultural clash that happened recently on TikTok where um, a lot of Indian people started picking it up. And so now because it's all the same TikTok because it's a Chinese company, you know, you're you'll be scrolling through your TikTok and you'll see, you know, people from all over the world TikToking in very different ways than Americans yeah. are TikToking. And that's kind of a new development on the on the app. So it'll be Windows interesting. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the globalizing effect is really profound, I think. That's what I noticed right away was yeah. that TikTok was people in China yeah. dancing 
with people in the States. Like that was the first thing I saw was like these viral mm. videos were, and, and I found that really moving. Like that's yeah. why I got interested was that it's not always people doing the same dance. I guess, I don't know mm-hmm. what all the memes are. I'm not, I'm not as familiar as I could be, but the, that component was really fun for me. The global dance mm-hmm. thing. And like, especially to be what we have now, <laughs> you know, in a time of isolation, like yeah. this, thing of dancing together that's like real embodiment it's not sitting mm-hmm. on the couch so even though it's kind of like the cheer dance that all exists in the cell phone frame mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm dancing for you on zoom now um it's super <laughs> lame it's at least it's dance yeah <laughs> there's something yeah. to that um the part that i guess i shy away from which seems to be telescoping in social media is the the viral goal like the part that that says you participate not to be entertained as a spectator but the part of you that's participating in order to be famous and in order to go viral and like the ego part i find really touchy and and Mm -hmm. then it's kind of sticky for me to engage on that level um because so much of being a performer has to do with managing your ego you know that like yeah i don't want to do it in my free time too (laughs) i was gonna say that that's like that fine line (laughs) I was going to say that's that you fine know, line Phil. between being a performer and being an entertainer. And it's just that that thing that we keep seeing happen in our culture. I mean, it's so tied to capitalism, right? Where these are people who need to be famous, right? They need to trend because that represents economic health or some sort of economic recovery. And so yeah, there's that aspect of it. I don't know. Everybody, like you're saying, it's such an ego thing. It's become such a thing where we all are just trying to participate in the same uh, zeitgeist moments together and see who hits and mm-hmm. who doesn't. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say it's it's also, I mean, it, you and I, Phil, I think you brought this up to me a while ago because you had been teaching at the high school for a while and they had brought up the idea that these kids have no idea of like privacy and I think it also goes in hand hand in hand with this like idea of commodifying any interest you have or like turn your hobby into your job or like, you know, turn your personality into your your lifestyle, into your living, you know, and it's like, you know, very image based, obviously. And um, so like the younger generation has no no problem commodifying whatever it is they do or you know a, a lot of it, it, there's less of a problem there where it is like you know there there used to be an idea of like selling out and that being like not a good thing but it's like now it's like everybody's goal is to get a sponsor or you know is is like and we don't and we don't um besmirch artists <laughs> as much as we used to for starting to make money from like corporate interest or just you know signing because you know what else are you gonna do to make money? You know, it's like it's it's um it's interesting, yeah. That's all I had to say about that. And I think I mean TikTok's part of that and just this idea that like everything cool I do is online, <laughs> you know, and gotta make sure that I don't miss a moment of what I do. I was listening to a <laughs> podcast recently and they were talking about how um our economy has moved from this place where, you know, there's a certain level of support on the local level and local economies through small business and stuff like that to people kind of scrambling to find the best place in the U S to get close enough to kind of the geyser of economic growth that they can kind of shoot up with it. Right. So like you can imagine Mm. like you want, you either want to move to Silicon Valley or you want to move to one of these places in America where it's just 
the economy is just spewing money and you want to be a part of that. So you want to either be in LA and get involved with Netflix if you're some sort of actor performer on TV or you want to, if you, if you do uh, internet things, you want to be in Silicon Valley or Wall Street, you want to be in New York, that kind of thing. So people aren't just practicing normal, they, they're not just doing their normal act- artistic practice in, in small economies. They're moving to these places where they can jump and be on board a, a, a geyser of economic growth. And that's kind of what TikTok represents as well, where, mm-hmm. or, or any of these apps where people are, like you're saying, are just trending for the sake of trending because they're trying to, you know, be the next Nicki Minaj or next, they're trying to shoot right. for the stars. We need that, though. Right. Weirdly, we need that corporate system somehow to exist so that we can surf on it. Like, yeah. in the midst of all this, you can opt out entirely and hope that, like, someone gets your smoke signal or you, like, try your way, yeah. you know, between <laughs> the Nicki Minaj posts and you're like, here's my art. It's got integrity. I promise. You know, it's not, <laughs> and they're like, I don't know how they're going to distinguish from all this. Right. Just hope someone sees it. Right. Like, I mean, to answer your question, I'm on Instagram trying to do this. And yeah. it's a weird experience trying yeah. to, to be a professional artist and, and use it as a promotional tool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A professional promotional tool. It feels safer to me to engage that mm-hmm. way than as a human who's, yeah, like you say, I, mm. I didn't need to put everything cool I do online. Like, I know people do it and then they refer to it in a professional sphere. Here's my personal Instagram account. I just don't feel that comfortable being so casual with that, with mm. my my mm. professional tools. You know, I'd like to put a thesis there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Instagram feels a little safer for me. Instagram? You know, I can be really transparent somehow. When I'm thesis forward, then I feel like people come at me the way I want them to. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, I don't want to be there as a civilian. That's kind of uh, not ready for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want, yeah. Nobody needs to see the real you. That's, that's for... <laughs> I mean, I, I'm like... I'm not averse to being seen. I just feel like Instagram is a lot of work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a full-time like, job. I don't necessarily want, I don't want to be doing that kind of work just to be a person. I'll do that for my job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. But yeah, I, I put, I put weird stuff on the internet that I think, you know, engages a conversation that I want to be in. Yeah. As opposed to, whatever else like and maybe making me money is is a side product of that and an ultimate goal but it's definitely not just to be seen for its own sake right that right. is like a lot of what's going on <laughs> right and there, well, there's so much as like you're you're trying to put your your project that you've been probably contemplating and working on for 10 years next to somebody who drew something or created something in an afternoon and it's all the same <laughs> I mean, that's cool. Like, that's why the platform's there, right? Like, let the people decide. (laughs) (laughs) I have to figure out where my own space is. I don't know. Do I need a website? Does everybody really need that? Yeah. Well, who? And this is what we're figuring out right now as as performers is what Mm -hmm. what do we need to succeed online? We never had to think about this before. Yeah. No, it's not entirely clear to me, really. I hope you have some answers. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Well, this seems like a good place to take a break, Um, and then we can come back and do headlines. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a second to uh, talk about our show sponsors. Coho is a theater that's located in Northwest Portland, and their mission is to broaden perspectives and cultivate empathy through vibrant and intimate productions. If you're looking to get involved with Coho or interested in seeing a show, uh, you can check them out um, at 2257 Northwest Raleigh Street in Portland, Oregon, or you can look at their website, which is cohoproductions.org. 
And now back to the show. All right, and we're back. It's time for headlines. Headlines, headlines, headlines. Headlines is the part of the show where we uh, read some of our favorite headlines from the week, and we get your take on what you're, uh, what we're reading on the on the topic. I guess I don't know. So we're gonna read some headlines to you, and you just kind of tell us what you think about them, and um, yeah, we'll just move through them. I've got one here about the game Animal Crossing. And I don't know how much <laughs> you guys know about the game Animal Crossing, but it's a uh, it's a game that's on the N- Nintendo Switch, and it is kind of like a Second Life kind of game where you build your own world, that kind of thing. Well, the the headline is Animal Crossing isn't just a game; it's a political platform. And I don't know if anybody's seen this, <laughs> but uh, over the last over the last couple of weeks. Um, AOC has been visiting people's islands and campaigning on people's <laughs> islands. Uh, PETA staged oh. a protest uh, of the museum on the Animal this Crossing. This is what I'm talking about. And uh, <laughs> PETA, wait a second. PETA, yeah. PETA, PETA staged an, uh, a protest of a museum that exists within the game? Yes. It's a museum where oh. you go around and you collect fossils <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you can store bugs at the museum. And animals. Oh yeah. Uh, oh my God, and so right now I'm looking at a picture of an Earth Day rally in the game where the characters are wearing face masks and they're holding signs that say Earth Day, save the planet, and one person is saying Eat the Rich. Eat the Rich, nice. <laughs> Yo, this is this is just what needs to happen. This is just what's happening. This is this is great. I, I love it. <laughs> I mean, it's a place. It's a legitimate place. In space. It's become a live, right? It's live. <laughs> now, I, mean, I don't know. Like, there's television, right, which is polished and corporate. Right. And it has commercials. There's live theater, which I guess is just live dissemination on the internet, mm-hmm. right? Sharing a space and a time online. And, like, a protest. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a protest. That's just a protest. You got you to, gotta, and, and with AOC, it's like you got to meet people where they are. It's like... Especially now, it's like people can't go anywhere anyways, but even if they could, there's probably a lot of people who would play Animal Crossing instead of going to an AOC rally. Do you know how honored I would be if AOC came to my island and spoke to my islanders? Yeah, I've heard about, like, celebrities, like, showing up at people's, you know, islands and just hanging out and then, like, holy shit, I was was like Elijah Wood or somebody. But this is, yeah, campaigning is something else. Yeah. That's funny. So this is just I, where things are going. I, you know, okay, this is, I'm, I'm, you just created a really great mood, and I'm really sorry that I might totally destroy it. But you brought up headlines, and, like, it's a tentative place to be. <laughs> I, I want to protest right now. I'm sorry. I just, I have to, like, we have to talk about the elephant in the room for a sec. There's been some violence in the news, and I'm really sad. And, yeah. you know, when yeah. you say, how are you, I want to say that I'm fine, but I also want to say everything is terrifying and just talk about the one thing on my mind. I try not to do that. Right. It's antisocial, but it's hard right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I just want to say that um, I want to say George Floyd, say his name, and that I'm really sad, and there's been some violence, and I really want to protest, and you've legitimately given me a, like a, a place to think about because it's yeah. really not safe. Like I was thinking about driving to Seattle and marching. And yeah. I just haven't been taking those kinds of risks yet. Like being part of a, a rally. Yeah. 
just doesn't seem seem like what's in my risk profile and like my family right now. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, what do we do? That's I don't want to go to animal, but like we can go and stage a protest online. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. that numbers mean something. And and there's a lot of ways to use the internet to bring awareness and and things like that right now. And there's there's a lot of ways to do safely to safely kind of bring people into this conversation and make sure that people understand what's really going on here. Because yeah, there's a lot of misinformation on the internet as well. And, uh, yeah. and I think it, it's, it's a really hard conversation because there is a line forming where you're going to have to pick what side of this thing you're on. And, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, that's just kind of the unfortunate circumstance are, that we're in. More than- and I, I heard something about protesting also recently that it's like, yeah, I mean, in the sense of like, yes, we do need to march in that, like the powerful only change things when they become inconvenienced, which is terribly cynical. But also if like they're in a traffic jam too much, they'll start changing the law. You know what I mean? And so that's the whole point of like live, pro- like being there and physically inconveniencing these people. I mean, just like think about how, I mean, the the protesters in Michigan, they're inconveniencing the hell out of everybody. That's how they're enacting, getting the eyes they want, because you can, compl- like, the media can ignore anything that happens online, but you can't ignore a fire in the street. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like... Well, I mean, you can interpret, though, because the media can ignore anything that happens within bounds. Right. That's but a true. protest is is legal, but it happens out of bounds. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the police are trying to control it there. It creates contention. You can do it well, but it's not what it's not what the system wants to happen. It is mm-hmm. the inconvenience. Right. So it's about interpreting an inconvenience. Right. Like D. Nice crashed Instagram a few times and everybody cele- celebrated because he got 100,000 mm-hmm. people in the same room. And that's a huge deal to me that 100,000 people came together for joy, you know, yeah. for the mm-hmm. state of being yeah. together. Right. And if he could do that without a cause, you know, other than joy. Like, that's enough of a cause, but now I have a real, like, I have a need now. Yeah. Um, not an inspiration, but a need. Someone, like, how do you disrupt, right? You can mm. disrupt the server. You can boycott. Um, it's not, you know, you don't, You a- AOC had a great idea in terms of the positive message taking it to people where they are. Yeah. But if you need to disrupt something, like, I don't want to disrupt Animal Crossing. What do we disrupt, <laughs> right? The powers <laughs> yeah. that be, like, do we go for a corporation? Do you go for a political institution? Do we try to crash whitehouse.gov? Like, what's... Right. Yeah. And let me add... And then there's some execution. And let me add to this uh, headline that... So I read, I read you Please. know, PETA, and I read um, the AOC thing. But another really interesting thing that's happening on Animal Crossing are um, Hong Kong protests. And one of the reasons that that's interesting is that it's harder to protest in Hong Kong than it is here right now. Right. And so that's one of those examples where taking it to the Animal Crossing platform is a really interesting move because there's freedom there that doesn't exist on their social media and on on their Internet. Wow. And so it's, you know, it's funny because it is where the people are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, a big part of protest also is to raise awareness in the people. And I think that's totally effective online. Right. Um, so there you go. It just seems kind of disrespectful to take that platform, you know, with a message that's so tender. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. Know, I don't know how to do that yet. 
It also just shows that so, there's really no ex- right. escaping this stuff, you know? Like, you you think you can go play your little, like, five-year-old game and get out of reality, and next thing you know, you've got people <laughs> protesting. Yeah, it's not like, well, second, like, it's a second life. It's a yeah. life. You've, you've created a universe. You have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. Great. Cool. Um, now well, I'm going to play the game. Yeah. You definitely should. It's really fun. Um, I had one headline that, uh, is somewhat, yeah, it's, 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 it's current and it's very old at the same time. So the headline is Shakespeare in lockdown. Did he write King Lear in plague quarantine? Um, which was really interesting because I, I, I was, I taught a, a Shakespeare unit for my last thing with the kids and learned that, uh, the Globe Theater had to shut down many, many times due to the plague. Um, right. From like like 1592, and then in the early 1600s, and it was it was more than I had even realized when I when I looked back today and saw. I was like, oh, wow. they were actually closed a lot. And um, there's there's just some. I was reading in the article they talk about like all these kind of plague references in King Lear, and the timing of it was like he probably was just sitting around. And it's interesting because it's you know. It's one of his deeper plays. <laughs> he had a lot of time sitting around. So it's interesting to think yeah. about how artists have been and theater artists have been operating in quarantine. Because the way that London worked is like once 30 people died of the plague, they would shut everything down. And then like the rich people would leave. Um, yeah. And theaters were like some of the first places to get shut down um, because they were already like socially tenuous. Um, it was kind of interesting. But <laughs> that's the headline. <laughs> to me, yeah, that just. Like this rhythm isn't foreign. Yeah. Well, to me, it just kind of like it shows that there's no excuse as a theater artist. I mean, we've got Shakespeare who's working during quarantine. So so can you, you know, that's just how I feel about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do you think he got 39 plays written, man? He's probably sitting at home a lot. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, like between the hours of 9 and 3 a.m. Like, yeah, yeah. Know, that schedule for a little while there when the theaters were open, that schedule was brutal, it seemed. Yeah. Um, it. It is like a there's a time for different actions, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like we haven't really experienced the kind of humility <laughs> to like taking those cues from nature mm-hmm. as a, as a culture yet. But but we right. have as a species, mm-hmm. like Shakespeare probably lived during one of these times where you have to take cues from nature, mm-hmm. and people do in, a, in smaller ways. Like I lived around hurricane season, and we had to respond. You couldn't right. just choose not to board up, you know. But that's like you're looking at a day or two or three, and it's enough time that it's fun, and it feels like a sleepover. Right. 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 And you might lose power. Like, it has a similar – that's my association with, like, emergency yeah. preparedness. Right. Yeah. It's hurricane season in Florida and, like, kind of getting stranded, losing power, needing to um, secure your water supply. Like, survival yeah. instinct kicks in. Mm-hmm. And I was a kid, but I also don't remember it having the same – it didn't hit this pitch. You know, it doesn't have the plague – rhythm <laughs> it's when people would get together and drink and play cards yeah. and like not have tv right that's what i remember it's like my grandparents and my parents like gathering around the table not working more working less for you know you get a little vacation because <laughs> it's a few days but but this pandemic rhythm is is familiar to us as a species and i think it's workable mm-hmm. yeah um you know i don't think it's the end of civilization at all and i don't even think it's bad if we stay in this for a little while like i hope you know we get a little more freedom but I also recognize that this we've been really spoiled. You know, <laughs> like I lived through the eighties and the nineties in a time of economic prosperity and it it was I, I don't I'm not like upset about that kind of 
security and mm-hmm. that kind of education and the prosperity that I've lived through. But I also ha- always had this weird like feeling that uh, the the environmental situation was going to was shifting. The feeling yeah. also that our all of our professors were telling us any science teacher we've ever had, they were telling us. And so there was a, a disconnect in me yeah. on a really deep level, like ever since I was a kid, cause I'm, I'm a science person by mm-hmm. nature. So to see people driving around in cars and hearing what the science teachers were telling me, it felt disconnected. And now, you know, I'm, I'm grieving the loss of humanity, but I also suddenly on a very deep level feel that disconnect is now like a little bit resolved like we are actually admitting what's going on around us. Well, some of us are. Um, the stock market isn't. Some of us are fighting. <laughs> you know. But I, like, in terms of popular understanding. Yeah. yeah. Just the narrative. In terms of the narrative, everyone's pretty much in agreement that there is a pandemic. Right. Yeah. You know, that it's happening. Um, regardless of like whether they're at risk or what to do about it or the messaging. There's a lot of cynicism about the messaging. Well, and that's, I think, the biggest thing right now is that it's a strain on our systems. And what we're going to find out is how, you know, strong our systems are, the systems that we have in place. Because um, right, and our ability to communicate even just across the coasts has been so um, destroyed by the misinformation of the Internet and, you know, uh, a, a poor leader as a president and these types of things. And so historically something that our species may have conquered in the past. Now we're doing Mm. it with a new system. And um, the question is, does this system hold up as well as the, you know, what'd you say? 1590 system or the early 1600 system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a revisionist period. Yeah. You know, we're going to be also. Yeah. And and London went through it over and over and over and over right. and over again because they also didn't know, they didn't have the basic scientific knowledge they had an idea that proximity had something to do with it but that was about it you know it was like the air got bad or whatever and um, it just kept coming back and that I mean they had an idea that it was transmit transmittable from person to person they must right. have because they're closing the theaters right and they yeah they knew it would. Yeah, but they didn't. They just didn't have the same. I've got a friend in uh, Kenya, and I talked to him recently about this because uh, Nairobi, Kenya, just went into lockdown in the last couple weeks. And the way that he's looking at it, and the way people talk about it out there, is they call it a demon, and it's similar Mm. to kind of like biblical, like you know, the 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 spirit that comes to the door and gets through the door, even though the door is closed and can get into the house and invisible know, yeah or the invisible in- enemy as uh, donald trump calls it uh. <laughs> but i, I mean yeah. yeah i i see in terms of like connecting to the past mm-hmm. you know i i feel some sense of camaraderie in that i already felt like a square peg mm-hmm. before life changed yeah right i always i struggle to fit my processing my, my brain processing into the timeline that like a nine to like a corporate timeline. Mm -hmm. Some people are better suited for it, I think than others. And some of that is just about diligence and discipline, but I exercise a lot of that, you Mm -hmm. know, and I still, I find it easier to perform certain tasks in a corporate environment, according to capitalism than others. Um, And I found that the act of creating, you know, it's really hard for me to fit that in around the other things I have to do in a day. Like I really require eight hours to dig into a project and takes, takes a lot of resources to put those eight hours aside. And then they, and then it has to happen on that Sunday. 
right? Mm-hmm. Whereas now, like, because I have a little bit of a safety net and no other job, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I have to engage that part of my brain that really can create in the long form and and kind of wants to. And I'm not comparing myself to Shakespeare. Like, I'm not sitting here writing 39 brilliant yeah. pieces of work and 150 bucks on it. Um, well, Shakespeare didn't have an iPhone, so... Not what's happening, but but I am. I think uh, that that things go in waves now makes sense to me. That mm-hmm. certain people prosper. That my my extroverted friends are so upset and you know very lonely, and I'm doing my best to stay in touch with them. But some of my introverted friends and people who write or people who devise, you know, I feel like devising comes from a similar place. It's writing, it's like now there's suddenly some peace and quiet, and I can get something done. <laughs> I can like yep. read a book. Yeah. You know, it takes me a long time to read. There's an in and an out of it for me. I can't just twitch that on and off. <laughs> like, right. And it's not about the speed at which I read. It's it's my processing speed. Yeah. So yeah, it's the yeah, comprehension. My, my brain is different now. Yeah, the mm-hmm. comprehension and the like structuring the day around it. Yeah. Is possible in some context. So I feel like in that time, you know, in Shakespeare's time, there was a time to write and there was a time to rehearse, and you had stretches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of, you had seasons that were longer than three months. You know, you had, yeah. you had little tiny epochs, and there's something to that. That's all. Like biologically, there's something about that that, that rhythm that works for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, let's do some plugs. Uh, if, if you have anything that uh, you think the audience needs to know about, you can shout it out right here. Um, it yeah, can be I do. Anything you want. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of things I'm excited about. Um, one of them is Palabolus, the dance company online. Uh, they are active. Well, I'm, I, I say that like they're only online. Right now they're online. They are Brooklyn-based and internationally touring, and this would be their 50th anniversary season um, tour, and now it's a 50th anniversary season online event that they're going to have. They're super active in terms of education, and I have been really grateful to have a free source stuff, just like input. Um, because like as a mover and a teacher, I do a lot of output and creating, and it's just so valuable to mm-hmm. have teachers. So you, you can pay for certain things, performances, and you can also get a lot for free. And I think a lot of their live, they were doing um, live on Instagram and live Facebook sessions three days a week, and they've kept them on their Facebook account. Okay. So okay. is, yeah, it's a weird word. I think uh, P-I-L-O-B-U-S, Pilobulus. Did I miss an O? Maybe. Gotcha. <laughs> um, you'll find them. It's, it's spelled like it sounds. Um, and they're just very acrobatic, okay. which I like. Um, they're, they're dancers, and they have a certain aesthetic that's evolved over a few, you know, evolutions of the company and the artistic directorship. And you can you can study with their artistic director. Mm-hmm. So that's super cool. Um, yeah, so that's a major plug. The other – oh, we talked about uh, rope arts, and there is a teacher – in town who I think is phenomenal and his name is Noble Monke, Noble S. Monke, and he recently like this year in time for the pandemic bless um, launched his new website so mm-hmm. he scooped it up and now he has monthly subscription which okay. is very mm-hmm. affordable it's like $17 I think unless mm-hmm. it changed um, and he's just a high level teacher there's a lot of stuff if you start googling and start surfing YouTube there's all, a lot of stuff out there but if you take this recommendation, he's very thoughtful. He's a senior teacher and he has a lot of expertise. He's a PhD in sciences. So he has influences 
um, he's a tree climber. <laughs> he's got the climbing part and he's just a phenomenal artist. So that's a really, that's the number one resource I can send you to if you want my, my recommendation. Yeah. Awesome. And he's a really great guy, responsible teacher in his community. Um, and the safety video is free. So go watch that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to pay for stuff. You can go watch yeah, the intro. Watch the stuff. Video. Like, get, yeah. And get the start, you know, get some yeah. context, which I think is super important. I'm trying to say the responsible things here. I've said a lot of, <laughs> Of course. <laughs> Controversial things. Cover your bases, man. I got you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, I I want people to see the work I'm doing, but I also have to bring the teacher mind with me because it's it's circus. Right. Like they're stunting. It is risky stuff. Um, is there anywhere so, we can see your work yeah, online? Wanna, yeah, coming up, I, I'll plug my work and Fuse real quick. So if you follow Fuse, um, we've become more active on Instagram since we've gone online, and we're also active on Facebook. So that's really where we're at. We have a website too. That's for like live stuff for st okay. updates we're on social media and we since the quarantine project the cause cabaret which was uh about a month ago we decided that we have the software and we know how to use it now you know we, we downloaded <laughs> all the stuff and yeah. we did the trial run so we're going to start streaming work and rusty our artistic director and uh spirit guide and mentor mine um <laughs> just incredible uh, director you know in, in my life at the moment has been really encouraging us to produce our own work and has given me a soft deadline of the end of the month. So oh. <laughs> a couple days. Nice. Um, but the piece, the piece I did for the cause cabaret was the first movement of Stravinsky's right of spring. Mm -hmm. Cause it was May 1st. I was like, we got to do this. And you, you're probably somewhat familiar with the piece as sound people. It's, you know, it's jarring and upsetting. And so I, I had a great experience moving to it and processing that, that feeling in my body and in the context of like, what does a quarantine feel like to me? Just responding to the moment. And I wanted to finish it. So I'm going to try to do the second movement and call it a whole piece, you know, readdress the whole and stream that. So Fuse will promote it. It'll, it'll appear on our Instagram. We'll, we'll say when it's going to happen. So hopefully we'll have it edited and marketed in the next few weeks. Right. So that's what I'm working on. And just um, tune into Fuse because we're doing some, uh, disseminating of solo performances next so there's something i'm working on now but then jane comer has the fear of speaking rusty newton tenant has the importance of being frank i've got tether um, kate's doing online tarot readings and has her own mask show there's a lot of solos so as we proceed we're going to use the fuse box one or two at a time and film and stream these so Absolutely. i'm really excited about that frontier yeah i'm really lucky that i have this group that wants to you know, enter this phase and put work online with me because I could not do it alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are the plugs for the day. Great. I don't have any. Um, I've just, I've just got, I, I, I found out that Dante's Inferno is now doing their thing on zoom. So if you're missing that, missing any of your burlesque stuff, um, you can get your fix there. That's, you know, the longest running burlesque show, like, anywhere or something like you know all those fire performers and i've met a lot of those people over the last year or so and they're all lost all their gigs so <laughs> go support them <laughs> they are hurting and uh so if you want to support some local vaudevillian burlesque performers check out dante's inferno on sunday nights yeah awesome rad there's some really powerful circus artists in that lineup you know you get all sorts yeah it's really crazy it's like local people doing silly stuff and then like world-class performers like sh doing handstand arrow shooting flame and arrow at a thing you know it's like 
wild. So <laughs> yeah, it's always a good time. I've never regretted it when I've gone and uh, the online thing should be cool too. Awesome. Yeah. And support those, those artists who are grounded for the time. Yeah, for sure. Can I plug one more person? Oh, I didn't yeah. say the name of my collaborator. And it's another, there's another rope artist. And I said Noble mm -hmm. because he lives in town. But I actually had it in my mind. I want to say both these people's names because um, this guy Marcus in Brooklyn is, you know, in a very similar position mm -hmm. to a lot of the artists who full 100% full-time artists. So, like, doesn't have another income if he's not doing work and just started a Patreon. So I want to send people to the Patreon um, and just plug Marcus Likes It is his performer name. Um Marcus is a, a rope rigger and a lot of other things. He's an opera tenor and now a good friend of mine. And so he and I are in the middle of the Book of J gestation. We've done that fertile ground workshop, and we're hoping to turn the idea into something bigger. So he's now, separately, he's doing some video editing of some of the footage that we got while he was in town to try to make little spots and little trailers and tools. Basically, they're just marketing tools. He's not editing the piece. The piece does not yeah. exist yet. Okay. So he's working on, you know, making us some material, but he's really a beautiful artist. He's a photographer. And if you, you know, if this work appeals to you, I would seek him out as, you know, any source of like, he's got, he's got teaching skills, but right now I think what he's offering on Patreon is his own fine art. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So if that interests you, go find Marcus Likes It. Gotcha. Will do. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Didn't want to yeah. leave him out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, important collaborators. Cool. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk, talk to you, you soon. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks a lot.